All right. So welcome, everybody. This is episode two of season two, and I am super excited like I am every show. Obviously, this is like something that, okay, I always say that, but I am. I'm actually super excited today um, to kind of talk about this topic. I've been wanting to talk about this, share my thoughts um, in my heart, and kind of talk to someone else, um, including the conversation. And so today we are going to be talking about matters of spirituality, and I am overjoyed to have with me none other than Miss uh, Malika Salam, uh, who actually has her own podcast. Um, uh, but I, I actually met her. We were in a similar, we're in the same Facebook group. And kind of from there, um, I've been following her. People probably know her online as Purple Hair and Converse. Um, and so I'm super excited that she's here today. Um, she's connected a lot to spirituality. And I would love to get her thoughts um, on being someone who is Black and fat and that type of experience. So without further ado, welcome Malika to the show. Hey, Joy. Hey. Girl, you really make me sound like somebody. I was you like, are oh, so she nice. Like, you guys you may know her ass. Yes. Official. Thank Official. you. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank so you so awesome. much for being here. I am... I keep saying it, but I am. I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, yeah, because you be on like, you know, when we post stuff on IG and, and and different things like that, I always see you underneath. You always double tapping something um, a mine on my page. And so it's it's great to kind of sit down and chat with you a little bit and get your, your perspective on things. Because um, nine times out of 10, you've probably been in the game longer than me. Um, <laughs> and so it's always good to kind of sit down at the feet of other individuals and learn a bit. So, yeah, I'm excited well, about I- this. I appreciate that. I am equally excited. I am always double tapping on something because I happen to think that you're awesome. And I have been um, following you and following what you're doing and this amazing work. And just the way I say it, you know, I say it all the time. Anytime I can, you know, check in and and, uh, add a comment, I'm like, I just love the way that you love us. I love the way that you are out here um, doing this amazing, amazing work that is hard work. So I'm here for it. Like, call me for anything. I'll be like, what you need? You need me to hang up posters? <laughs> you need a street team? Girl, I'm yeah. there. Oh, that is so good. That, like, I mean, it really is. It, it, it It's good to hear. And it's good to be a part of a community that, you know, we can look out for each other, support one another. Because, I mean, there's so many different stories that are painted about like how there is this lack of support. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but I'm saying that it doesn't exist here. Right. And so I'm grateful for that. Super grateful for that. Okay. So, because we will get stuck. Here's the thing. Right. (laughs) Things just don't change. Right. Like it's easy to kind of get, get, get stuck in talking about those things, but we do have a topic of interest today. We are going to talk about spirituality. So before we hop into things, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? I am, I'm Malika Salam. I'm a hope dealer. Uh, that looks like pushing positivity consistently. Come on here. I'm a that. hope dealer. Yes. <laughs> Listen, okay. Sorry. I believe okay. that hope is dope, you know, yes. and um, 
we need more of it. We need more of the confident expectation that when we do the work, things will in fact be better. So that's, that's what I'm here for. And to that, I bring all of myself. Uh, the simplest way that I have broken that down is that I'm fat, I'm black, I'm queer, and I'm I'm femme. Like those are those are important things that people need to know about me. I have been, you know, told before, oh, I like I didn't know that about you. Like, okay, you look at me, you can you can realistically gauge that I am black, <laughs> that I am a person of color. Um, right. you look at me and people, the way that people like to um frame it is to say, oh, you know, she's a plus size girl or she's a big girl. I like to use the word fat. Like, let's just put it out there. I own that. And I have the right to own that. You know, mm-hmm. people will even go as far as trying to correct me. Oh, girl, no, you're curvy. You're voluptuous. Listen, I'm fat. I make no qualms about it. I'm not here yeah. to argue about it. I'm not here to defend it. It is who I am. It is an identity that I have um, chosen. It's an identifier that I've chosen that I'm very comfortable with. So that's that's me, fat, black, queer, uh, femme specifically. And again, these are all things that I've chosen. I could say, you know, I'm African-American or I'm, you know, this percentage, this and this and this. But those things have um, those identifiers are very political. And that's very important for me because I do live my politics. And so I you know, want to put that out there out front so that people know exactly what they're what they're getting. Like, I don't want to fool people or give people a uh, a sense of comfortability. As a matter of fact, I believe that my existence is resistance. I'm a disruptor. Uh, so there are other things that will get piled onto that. My friends call me the exalted empress of excessive activities. Uh, I be doing the most. Uh-huh. That's just, that's real. Like I be doing the most, and I'm and I'm good with that as well. Um, I have I have I have played around with that moniker. I've tried to drop that moniker, and what I have discovered about myself is that I know the difference between doing the most and doing too much. Uh, when I am doing too much, I find myself in these agreements where I'm not able to keep up my end of the bargain because I'm always trying to shuffle things, right? I'm always trying to do this and then do this. And the things aren't necessarily in alignment. When I am doing the most, I find myself doing work that is in alignment. One thing feeds into the other. There's a lot of collaborations. And that's why I'm comfortable. Uh, part of being a hope dealer, I tell people all the time, I am I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. Like if you're if you're dope and you're doing stuff and you're a dope human, I want you to have support. I will be there to support you. So, you know, I don't um I don't take being the exalted empress of excessive activities lightly. I'm very very uh deliberate about the things that I get involved in. And so you said before I podcast, so I podcast, I write, uh I educate, I advocate. I do spiritual work. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on my plate and I um, am always checking to make sure that those things are in alignment. Okay. Oh, oh and I strip. <laughs> and oh, I strip. And you see? Yeah, okay. and I strip. Okay. So, so, so here, so here we are. Cause in the beginning of this show, you like, oh, I was making you sound like you were somebody. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, whatever. Okay. Here it is. You like you have one plate. All of this stuff is on one plate. <laughs> it you, is. I mean, I think you are kind of somebody. You are doing the thing here. Like 
whatever it is that you, I mean, if you write, if you do your podcast, if you show up and you're supporting people, if you take in, you know, you, you do, you say you strip. So mm-hmm. all of those things combine on your plate at one time. It's only seven, seven days in a week. Yes, ma'am. Hours in a day. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that you're somebody, I would say that you're somebody, um, and that introduction was awesome because you explained a lot about yourself and who you are and why you take the stance that you do. And I think that those things are important. You know, a lot of us out here don't have a choice but to live our politics in a lot of ways. Right. Um, some, some of the characteristics that we carry around that are often scrutinized or stigmatized, like we can't hide that. There's nothing, no, no matter how hard I try, I will never be able to walk outside and fool somebody into believing that I was a, a, a skinny woman. Right. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, and so um, I am thankful for your intro, grateful for the fact that you stand on your on your politics and you live them and you believe them and you thrive in them and that you're very careful and cautious about the ways in which um, you use your terminology. Because I do think, you know, it's easy for some groups and some people, they just throw words around like they like words don't, you know, I study communication. So I know that mm-hmm. words in a lot of ways are action. Right. They are a lot more than just you know, these pieces of, of consonants and vowels that we put together. No, they have value. Um, and depending on the words that you use, uh, we know this. That's why we strategically talk the way that we do. Right. But it's, it's you know, but it's awesome to kind of know that, you know, you are deliberately choosing terms and choosing words to identify yourself, um, to make your stance clear about what you believe in and how you live. Okay. Absolutely. So let's get into the nitty gritty here. All right, bit. let's do it. All right. So you said you're a hope dealer. Um, you talked about how you are connected to spirituality. So mm-hmm. tell tell the listeners and tell me um, what got you started into spirituality? Um, my grandmother, my okay. paternal grandmother, uh, definitely was the catalyst for all of this. Like when I was a little girl and, um, I remember being seven years old and her pulling me aside and trying to explain this gift that I had, this thing that she saw in me. And at seven, that was very scary. And at Mm -hmm. seven, I was like, okay, so now I see why. So my grandmother is a Pisces, was a Pisces, um, I'm a Pisces. Her birthday is March 1st. Mine is March 13th. We had this wonderful relationship most of my life. And it was very much when she told me that she and I were very close and I felt myself pull away because I saw how the family treated her. And I saw a lot of the stigma that was attached to that. I saw how her mental capacity would be attacked and um, how she would be kind of condescended to because she was seen as being crazy. And even at seven, I realized that. And I was like, okay, so this is why they say that about you. And I don't want them to say that about me. And so I already know that this closeness that we have is, you know, always under a microscope. Like, you know, what is it about that particular child of your, you know, all of your grandchildren that you're, you know, why you're close to her in that way. And so I just kind of put barriers between us as I got older, because I didn't want to be 
seen in the same light. Like I didn't want to be crazy. I didn't want people to think of me as crazy. And so what was the gift? Because I think that kind of adds a little bit of clarity when you like when you say the right. way that the family treated her. So um so my grandmother was definitely a seer. Um okay. meaning that she could she could pick up on things spiritually. So she could pick up on what type of spirit a person had. Um, you know, we might simplify it as, oh, this person is good or this person is bad or this person is good or this person is evil. But she really could tell what kind of spirits were walking with folks. She she really knew how to um, engage the best parts of people and how to see the light. And when folks didn't need to be around, like granny was the one who let you know, like that person is not cool to be around, to have around. And so you know, people called it her being superstitious and, you know, just all of those things that get thrown at stuff that people don't necessarily understand or that they don't want to deal with. They don't want to be responsible for. Mm -hmm. So um, she definitely had that gift. She uh, was an earth magician. And what I mean by that is my granny, like lots of grannies of indigenous people, uh, knew how to take the elements that that we had on hand. She didn't go to a botanica. She didn't go to a magic shop. She didn't go to a curio. She could take, you know, dirt and water and make a poultice. She knew which plants to use. She knew which herbs to use. There were things that were kept in our house regularly that I didn't understand. Things as simple as uh, salt, brown paper bags, and... Mm-hmm. Um, bay leaves you know she knew how to take those elements and work with them and so you know she could she could do any type of healing work from you know having a stomach ache and knowing exactly which things you treat that with you know what type what mints to give a child you know how teas to drink to um being able to to you know just sit with a person and hold space with them for them to work through, you know, a major spiritual upheaval, a loss, you know, things that people don't tend to think of as being spiritual or being magic. Mm -hmm. She did all of that. And it was just from a very pure place. And so for me, that is the first representation um, that I saw of, of magic being worked of, of spirituality outside of the confines of church or in my case, mosque. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that was what I was going to follow up on. Like, obviously, this is this is a non-Western approach, yeah. um, a non-traditional approach to um, what we would call spirituality. And so um, the things that you describe, there are a lot of things which I think uh, with like which I think is 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 interesting because I think the church has found ways to redefine it so that it's acceptable mm-hmm. to them, um, mm-hmm. but demonize it when it comes to everybody else. Right. Right. So, and so some of the things that you talk about, like your grandma being able to kind of know about spirits, different things like that. And the church, we would call stuff like that discernment. Discernment. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And different (laughs) things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, right. So it's like this idea of like, Oh, if it's, if you're, you know, if you're saved quote unquote, or if you're a Christian, then it, then it's not devilish. It's not demonized. You know, you being able to see spirits and do all of these things, it's not demonized um, because you're saved. But if you have not, you know, you haven't come under this umbrella of what we think 
qualifies people to have this type of connection, then whatever else you're doing is of the devil. Right. Right. Um, and so a lot of the things that you said just kind of, you know, like resonated like, oh, I get it. Like, because there's a lot of twisting and turning and manipulation, which uh-huh. in some ways, you know, speak to um, this idea of like, you know, what you have in you before anybody else ever qualifies. It. Exactly. You know, and it's so, like and most of those people, most of those people who've been in the church, who are in the church. If you were to ask them, they probably had similar experiences with their grannies, with their grannies, you know, saying, oh, you know, so-and-so is evil or got the devil in them. Like, and they'll say, you know, my grandmother had the gift of discernment and it's a control, right? It's a, this is the way that I feel comfortable processing it. Right. And so everything that's outside of this level of comfort that I'm having, I demonize because that keeps me comfortable in my control. And I tell you, right. I or have the idea that you have to filter everything through because right. one thing that I've noticed about more traditional religions is like, if you say that your religion is all encompassing, mm-hmm. right. Then God has to show up everywhere for everybody, right. but that you have a very, they have a, uh, people have a very hard time explaining how how God is showing up before people are making these confessions. So right. before it used to be, um, if you are, you know, if you're saved, then God does these awesome things for you. Um, but then when stories started to rise up about, you know, people having these experiences and these connections, then it was like, oh no, God was in that. No, he was in that right. all along. See, before you ever came, he was right. still doing X, Y, and Z. So again, right. it's like this idea that everything has to kind of fit within their box and the way that they explain it and shape it. Um, so, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm kind of a firm believer that those gifts that you have, if they're gifts, they're gifts. Yeah. Like they're given to you. <laughs> you like you didn't ask for them. Um, And nine times out of 10, they've been around for quite some time, you know? And so, like you said, I'm sure there are a lot of people who can kind of say, yeah, no, I remember being five years old, three years old, seeing things Uh or then telling my family and either you had a family that was very receptive to that type of behavior, or you had a family that were, that was more likely to kind of brush it off and be like, you know, oh, go sit down somewhere, et cetera. Right. Chalk it up to imagination, chalk it up to being a, you know, a child. Um, and that veil, I think, is, you know, very thin when you're mm-hmm. young and you haven't had all this stuff programmed out of you. You can still see stuff very clearly. Um, and the people who hold on to that, you know, through life, through their experiences are the people who become the hope dealers because mm-hmm. they are able to recall that they are able to bring that back up and they're able to say, listen, this this applies across the board. Like all of us were given these gifts, um, whether you choose to cultivate them, whether you choose to ignore them, all of that becomes how you engage the world. And, you know, based on that is, you know, whether you're going to say, you know, yeah, I, I believe that there is more. I believe that there is not one way that like we're all figuring this out and all of us have a different piece of the puzzle, but it all goes back to the source. So like, I don't, I am spiritual and I don't have any, um, I don't have any qualms about religion. 
you know, mm-hmm. like I grew up in a religious family. I grew up in a family where my father um, practiced Islam. And so for a good portion of my life, I practiced Islam. Mm-hmm. And my birth mother, from her Latino background, practiced Roman Catholicism. Like you just couldn't have people who were too, you know, any more far apart than that, right? Mm-hmm. But I grew up in that environment. And so very much. Um, I was curious about, you know, what everybody was doing and how everybody was doing it. Because I had people who were doing so, you know, different things around me. And my father was very much about this is, you know, who you are. This is what we practice. And you can have these other experiences. Like when you go over to your aunt's house and they celebrate Christmas and they celebrate Easter, go be a part of that and experience that with them so you can see for yourself. Just know that when you're in this house, this is how we do things in this house. So I had a very... I won't say that my dad was open or like receptive to it when I was younger. Like, yes, go, go be magical and learn all the things so you can be magical and spiritual. It was like, no, in this house, this is our discipline. This is the teaching that we follow. This is the expectation. And um, you will have to go out into the wider world and experience things. And I know that when you go over there, they do it this way. And, you know, part of you being respectful over there is you respect the rules of that house. And, and for the most part, they didn't bump up against each other as much as people think that they do. Because fundamentally, again, all of this stuff flows back to the source. Right, right. But I think that that's awesome, like, so that you can have, like, these different experiences and then kind of choose for yourself. So ultimately, what did you wind up choosing? Um, Ultimately, I wound up choosing myself. Like, (laughs) this has been the journey. So um, I have studied... I have studied religion. I've studied the philosophy of religion. I have been in the church. So like I have, my greatest curiosity was Christianity. My greatest curiosity was Christianity because I saw Mm -hmm. it done so many ways. And I had family members who were Christian and completely different. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was a teenager, I had an aunt and an uncle who were music ministers and one thing about Islam is like there wasn't there wasn't this type of soulful music like there's music involved for sure, but it wasn't music that spoke to my soul. And so I loved going to church. I loved going over to my aunt's house on the weekend and spending time with her and my cousins and going to church. And so I got involved in the youth uh, in the youth choir because I loved the way that it made me feel. And as an adult, I became a Christian. And it was very like my family. So I was really afraid to tell my family because um, for people who abandon the faith, it's called apostasy. And like you can be like there are people who do shunnings and excommunications. It's that. And so I was afraid, oh, my gosh, my family's not going to talk to me. And no, everybody was just like, okay, you know, that's your path. That's your journey. Um, You know, let see where it takes you. See what it is that, you know, you were brought to. So, of course, my Christian family was like, you know, yes, you're over here. You're going to learn all of these things. You will understand what we've been talking about. My Muslim family was like, this is part of your path. You know, go experience that. Um, See what it teaches you. And for me, the biggest thing that was missing was this, this faith and the way that Black folks experience faith. And so I think the Black church tradition Mm -hmm. was really a was probably the biggest part of my spiritual awakening um, because I tapped into a part of myself that I had never experienced before. This really unfettered, you know, this unfettered faith, this unfettered hope, this, um, this belief beyond just the discipline of getting up and doing things on 
a certain schedule like I had with Islam, it was like, oh, okay, so no, I can feel this. I can feel this in my heart. The music moved me, The like just everything about that experience moved me. So I have, um, I have worked in the youth ministry. Like I taught children's church and vacation Bible school. I yeah. was a liturgical dancer. Um, I was a missionary. Okay. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I did all of the things like if the church was open, I was like, just let me come and clean the pews because I really wanted to have that connecting experience. And I got to see, again, all types of Christianity and how they functioned. And my, I think what took me away from the church was this broader understanding. And it was that so many people had put God into a box, that mm-hmm. they had just tried to put God into this tiny little box, that there were only certain things that he could do. And there were only, and and that God is a he, right? So there's Mm -hmm. that. There's, okay, he does things this way. Right, right. see him this way. And this is the only way it can be done. But from my own experiences, I was just like, God is so much bigger than this. Yeah. God is so much bigger than what we're sharing. God is so much bigger than the, this way is the only right way. Like God made all of this. And so he, so God has allowed all of this to be divided up. So it took me a a while even to get away from the concept of God as he and really see the God in myself. Okay. Okay. No. And I think, you know, kind of speaking to that a little bit. So in 2001, um, what people would call like rededication. Um, I rededicated my life to Christ and was in the church heavily till about 2012-ish. Um, and so like you, I was involved. I think at one point I was in church six days a week. Um, and so I was involved in the youth ministry. I was involved in well, the kitchen committee. I was, I was, I was, uh, I was never the usher, Oddly enough, I would fill in for the ushers, I was but also I was usher. never, <laughs> I was on the praise and worship team. So uh-huh. I was singing and I was dancing. At one point I got ordained as a minister. And so, yeah, but at the same time, being able to acknowledge like these things are happening, but also acknowledge that there is this, how do you want to say, there's just, they're, they're God, they put God in a box. It's very confined. Mm-hmm. Right. And so on some levels, even if you were to explore outside of this definition of what people would say is God or how God operates, um, I knew on some level like that would never be accepted, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like walking around with like the secret. Like you got this secret in your pocket and, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't share it because if you share it. Right. The shunning is still there. Right. Mm -hmm. This idea of like, no, you missed it. You missed the mark. That's not really what God is saying. And sometimes, you know, it's because of the limited vision of other people. And so I didn't want to limit my vision. I didn't want to limit what was in my heart. I didn't want to limit you know, how I see myself or at least the things that were being shown to me about my own life. Right. Um, and so then you're making this decision now, this conscious decision, this thing that, you know, kind of in some ways, you know, that you were drawn to that helped enrich your life. But now you're like looking at it like, ah, I think I got to shift again. Mm-hmm. Like I need to shift and I need to move and pivot so that I can continue to grow because staying in this place is going to hinder me now. So the thing that once brought me life and brought me growth, if mm-hmm. I don't find a way to to get out of that, I'm going to be stuck. Um, and so I can kind of 
you know, definitely relate to, to that same experience um, and being super involved and, and all of those different things. But at the same time, knowing that it was time to to kind of move a little bit, pivot and, and, and go in a different direction. Absolutely. And, and really, is it going in a different direction? It's it's not like you it's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to make a left instead of a right, because really it expands you in right. all of the ways. Right. So people will say, I remember when the prayer of Jabez was really big and everybody mm-hmm. was like, you know, ex- enlarge my territory, enlarge my territory. If people really knew what that meant, I don't think as many people would have been excited about it as they were, because it's not just enlarge my finances, enlarge my home, give me a better car. It's really move me out to take up space in all of these ways. And when Mm -hmm. that came out, you know, people weren't really talking about taking up space the way we are now. Right. And when you realize the level of discomfort that 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 puts you in, because as as with anything that grows, right, there is a process that is going to be painful. Breaking out of your shell, giving birth to yourself, all of those things are labor intensive. And so it's hard. People do look at you crazy. Friends are like, okay, so you're on that. I'm not on that. So people who may have been super close to you start to fall by the wayside. Even your family may distance themselves from you. And it's like, who would choose that? Who would deliberately choose that? But as part of this path, as part of this call, like I received my call and I was very clear that I was not called to preach. I was called to educate. And it was Mm -hmm. like, when are you going to ministerial school? I was like, I want that wasn't my call. That was your Mm -hmm. call, maybe, but that wasn't my call. My call was to educate. And so for me, very early on, that looked like, you know, okay, I'll be teaching. I'll be doing children's ministry. I'll be doing, you know, things in the church. And then as that started to shift, I was like, but no, this isn't what I had in mind. And Spirit was like, no, what you said was, and I quote, enlarge my territory. So what Mm -hmm. I'm doing is enlarging your territory. And it's not always going to look like what you think it's going to look like. It's not right. always going to be comfortable. Um, and in pivoting and then making that turn, it's not just going to move one way. This will expand into so many different areas. And right. again, you know, part of the journey, part of the path, and, you know, we can, honestly, we can embrace it, right? And and that that makes it a little gentler, a little easier, that's not saying that it will be without difficulty. Like it's still, those, those challenges arise. They arise for us to meet the challenge so that we can grow, so that we can learn a thing. And then we can take all of that experience with us. Um, so we can embrace it or we can not embrace it. It's not going to stop it from happening. It will make things more difficult. It will make the journey a lot longer. I have been on a lot of long journeys on a short path because I wanted to run. I wanted to be rebellious. I wanted things to stay the way that I was comfortable with. And part of what brought me to the place that I am now was just a whole lot of loss. And after all of that loss, sitting still and going, okay, so so what? Like, what was all of this about? I had to give up some stuff. I had to give up my need for control. And well, I, and I think, to, you know, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were <laughs> gonna say, I had to, I had to lean into, um, really trusting the way that I said I trusted. I had to yeah. walk the talk. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I would also kind of kind of add to that. I think in our, particularly in our society over here, our culture, we are conditioned in a lot of ways to believe that we have control when we don't. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a lot of 
you know, when you feel like you can control these things. I think sometimes like that's that's kind of like where the struggle is, because I really believe that if people felt like they could control the weather, some of us would be outside, you know, depending on what we had planned, like trying to push the clouds. But because we've been kind of conditioned to believe that we have control over certain circumstances and certain situations, I mean, within reason, there are certain things that you can control. But a lot of our life, like you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no idea what's going to happen next week. Like even when you say like, you know, when the Jabez prayer was big and people was asking, you know, that their, um, you know, that their territories be enlarged. Yeah, no, people didn't know what they were like really asking for. They knew what they wanted to control. Right. They knew what they they wanted extra money or extra, you know, extra liberty to do X, Y and Z. But they didn't really know, you know, what they were asking for. And I think, you know, when we start talking about the ways in which we the control that we have to navigate our own lives and what that looks like and what that means, being conditioned to think that you can control these things, I think is one of the things that put us in a bad space. Um, because then we walk around actually believing that we can. And then there's a struggle that ensues. And then you realize like, you know, there used to be a saying, people would say like, your arms are too short to box with God, right? Like, (laughs) So like, here we are swinging and we are not a match. Like we are not, you know, we are not an an adequate opponent for life in general. You know what I mean? And I think about, you know, the things that have happened in my life that were kind of like beyond my control, things that kind of, you know, I worried about a lot. And I would get like this nudge, like, stop worrying about stuff, just Mm -hmm. chill out. But like, why do you worry? Like, you feel like you you have a certain sense of control. Like, if you think about it long enough, if you think about it hard enough, you'll be able to change your circumstance. Like, and then what happens in the end? Like, you wind up worn out. You're tired, you're crying, you're overwhelmed, you need to take some personal days, et cetera. And then the thing that was supposed to happen happens anyway, right? At the end of the six months or the nine months or whatever, right? And you spent the last six months doing something that inwardly you were getting signals about, like, "Mm, you probably shouldn't do that. So, you know, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways that life teaches us lessons. There's a lot of ways that we can learn from, you know, ourselves and like within ourselves, like sometimes it's not, um, like, you know, sometimes it's not, not in the winds and the waves, like this big spiritual awakening type thing. Sometimes it's just like, you know, on the inside, you like, no, nah, bro, don't do that. Like, right. no, nah, that's I don't. That's not a good move. Like, you know, and there was, you know, growing up, there was times when I had little inklings like that, little nudges. Don't go over there. Right. Stay where you at. You know, and I could have pushed past that and then found myself in a bad place. You know, or don't say that. Don't do that. And thank goodness, in some ways that I didn't pass, you know, push through some of those things. But then there were other times when, you know, whatever, you do what you want to do. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of sit with yourself. I've learned, um, you know, you just, you accept it for what it is. Like, yeah, I did that. Okay. Yep. So now that you did it, what are you going to do to fix it? Um, I'm going to do my best to like switch, switch gears. Right. So that I can be on the best, you know, the best path that I need to be. Um, and so, yeah, all of this, <laughs> all of so, this, like, you know, 
Go ahead. So it's real, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. So it's real important. And I wanted to circle back around to this idea that, you know, I brought myself along this path and really clarify what I mean by that. Uh, because it struck me when you said your arms too short to box with God. Again, sage wisdom of grannies everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody's grandmama told them that at some point when they saw them doing some stuff and they were like, that ain't going to work out because your arms too short to box with God. So two things, one, realizing that like they were giving us, they were giving us this magic all along and you just, you get to a certain point where it starts to make sense. The point that I got to was realizing that one, I didn't have to box with God because God is on my side and God is always you know, doing everything, conspiring with the universe so that I can have what is, you know, for my greatest good, what is in alignment with my purpose. So when I stopped fighting and just leaned in, that is when expansion happened. That is when I started to see things more clearly, understand more clearly. That is when I began to be filled with hope and not just doing things um, in response to trying to uh, have a get out of hell free card. Because uh, I definitely did some stuff that let me know <laughs> that if there was a heaven and a hell, I probably uh, wasn't going to heaven, according to Doc. Mm-hmm. The other part of that was understanding like who I am and where I come from. So if I am my father and my mother's child and I have their DNA and there are certain characteristics that I have inherited with, with that, then why wouldn't it be the same for the source of all life? Mm-hmm. How could I not have that same God DNA. Mm-hmm. So that meant that I had access to these things. And that right. was a game changer for me. Like I see people quote all the time, like, you know, um, I, the uh, Intosaki Shanga quote about finding God in themselves and, you know, loving her fiercely. And like, for me, that is definitely a mantra because it was when I realized that there wasn't this separation when I realized that, you know, even the concept of boxing with God really is just me fighting with myself, with the God part of myself, who's like, Malika, do this. And like human Malika is like, "Mm, that don't look fun. (laughs) That don't look like Mm -hmm. nothing I want to do. That looks Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And so I really just want to do it my way. And so, you know, that those two things for me um, really stood out. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, Yes, there there was a moment that I realized Mm -hmm. I didn't have to box with God. I didn't have to fight myself. And there was a moment that I realized that I have this divine DNA and that because I have this divine DNA, I have this access to, you know, and again, if you've if you've read the Bible, if you've been in church, there are all of these wonderful things that we're told about how this relationship works. Right. Right. So. You know, Jesus goes to heaven and he says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you and if I'm going, like, know that you're welcome there and know that in my father's house, there are many mansions like one of those belongs to you. So if you listen to prosperity preachers, then you know that, like, there's a storehouse of blessings that God has for you. But it, but for me and for me, what I realized is that doesn't happen on the other side. That happens now. That's that's in the manifestation now. That's me having faith now. That's me having confident expectation now. That's me flowing in my divinity now, recognizing that if I am my father's child, if I am my mother's child, that I have this DNA. What is your take then on how your intersections kind of impact? Well, how your intersections impact what you believe? And then how do you make sense of the things that are happening on this side due to the intersections that you possess? Okay. 
So some of these intersections are clearly not acceptable for some folks. Like some Mm -hmm. folks are just like, oh, no, you can't be that and be this. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start with black because that's an obvious one. Religion has been used to enact all types of atrocities on all types of people across the world. There are still people who believe that blackness is a curse, right? We're, you know, we, this is the curse of ham. And so for me, like living in a place where I know that that um, exists, again, it's this expansive thought that all of this is for a purpose, right? So if all of this is for a purpose and I'm experiencing this, my part of what I'm trying to figure out in this life is why do all of these things happen? Why is it set up this way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of God would set things up this way? And so I think this is part of part of what religion hasn't gotten right, but spirituality gives us the opportunity to really expound upon. Because if God made all of this, then either God is very cruel, mm-hmm. because like what kind of God would create this type of suffering? Or there's more to the story. And so for mm-hmm. me, I haven't figured out the answer to the story. What I do know is that Source created all of this for a reason. What I can recall is that part of this is an agreement that some of us souls made because some of us wanted to have some experiences. And so some people agreed to come down and and be the atrocious ones and just hope that we remember their light when we get back on the other side and not hold it against them. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Because in my flesh, I'd be like, mm, no, you were an asshole. <laughs> and I, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to forgive that. And then I think there's somebody out there who I've been that asshole for. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily on purpose, you know, like just right. not being aware, not thinking, uh, not taking into consideration how my, how my, um, behaviors affected other people like just not always having that presence of mind and I have hurt people and I hope that when we get to the other side and encounter them that they will remember that that was part of my growth process and their growth process and whatever it was that we came to this side to learn okay and so pretty much according though to your to what you believe then you believe that everybody's going to the other side Oh, yes. I believe spirit goes and comes. I think some people um, will not go as quickly as others because they have to come back and do it again and again and again. I definitely um, I believe in reincarnation. Okay. For the longest time, I thought that I wanted to be reincarnated. I was like, okay, so I'm not getting this right. I hope, you know, I get a chance to come back and do it again. Honestly, I've, I've, I've lived a lot of life at this point. I don't want to come back and do this again. I would like to get as much of this um, together in an alignment and balance before I leave so that I can really do some good on the other side as an ancestor. Like, I, I don't want to come back and do this again. Okay. And so kind of moving on then, does your, um, or does, how does your acceptance of your spirituality, um, how does that impact your lived experience as um, someone who's Black and fat and queer? It has really helped me to create sacred and safe space and to know how important that is. Um, Because again, religion will say being Black is a curse and religion will use that uh, to enslave people. We've seen it happen. We, we are descendants of people that it happened to. Mm-hmm. Um, religion will say 
that it is not okay to be homosexual, that that is a sin. Uh, and some religions will even make it a big sin, right? Like there's big sins and there's small sins, um, which I don't happen to subscribe to that belief. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me a long time to get past that point. I spent most of my life doing things in secret because I was so afraid, like if people knew that, okay, so this would be a big sin and I wouldn't be forgiven by this, forgive, forgiven for this. So spirituality has allowed me to make peace with myself, with all of the parts of myself and to live in my truth. I just, I just think that I come from a source that wants that for all of us, that doesn't mm -hmm. want us to hide who we are. Like, like source had all of these things and said, okay, I'm going to give a little bit to each of you and you guys are going to go out and have this experience. I've had people do the same and I, it kills me uh, when people, and this is a personal thing for me. I have mm -hmm. been a part of churches that have done like corporate fasting and not fasting in the way that the Bible describes it, right? Because first of all, we're not even supposed to talk about it. Like when you're fasting, you're supposed to be quiet and humble and go about your life. You're not supposed to be announcing the people that you're fasting and you're fasting for a purpose, right? You're, you're fasting mm -hmm. so that you can develop spiritual stamina. But I've absolutely seen it used as a tool of dieting. I've seen churches who start Weight Watcher groups. I've seen people be fat shamed in church because, mm -hmm. you know, how can you be this and be a glutton? Gluttony is a sin. And I'm like, that's not, that's not how fat works. Right, right. right Everybody who's right. fat isn't fat because, you know, they eat a lot. For some of us, this is our body composition. This is our makeup. For some of us, it's health issues. But whatever it is, church is supposed to be, for me, I thought churches and synagogues and mosques and all of these holy religious places of worship were supposed to be safe and sacred spaces. Right. And I have found that at my intersections, most of the time they have not been. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I have experienced more trauma in those spaces than I have in the whole outer world. And so for me, spirituality has, has impacted my lived experience and it has allowed me to embrace these these pieces to love the so-called unlovable pieces to create safe and sacred space for myself and healing mm -hmm. space for myself so that I can provide that to other people so that they can see what that looks like in real time so that they can see that there is an alternative okay yeah because I I mean I do think that um kind of going back a little bit to the things that you said in reference to how fat is seen in church um, and how it's often demonized. Like, I didn't think that um, I had realized it as much until I was like out of kind of taking, looking at it from that, from the outside looking in and you hear things and you see things. And I mean, I can remember for ages. I mean, that, that scripture was always brought up about gluttony and, and, you know, and I've watched, you know, I've been a part of, and some, at one point or another, I've been a part of the workout groups, the dieting groups, the exercise groups, all of these things and how, you know, God was saying that, you know, people needed to get in shape and all of this other stuff. And doing that back then in ignorance, because I didn't know about all of all of the things that I know now, um, right. but understanding, I guess, in the ways in which um, how traditional religion has kind of shaped our understanding or helps add to the way that we understand our bodies. 
helps add to the way that we understand our history, our race, um, how we fit in society as a whole, what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do, what we should, you know, what we're allowed to be and what we're not allowed to be. Um, Again, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, this idea of like knowing that there's more, understanding that, you know, there's more, but then also coming up against this, this idea of being in this box and not being able to explore the more um, because of the things that you've been taught. And so thank you for kind of shedding light on that a bit um, about those experiences. Um, Because when, if you're growing up in that type of environment, like not only is there this level of fat shaming that is happening, but there's also this this uh, this level of internalized weight stigma that you then start to have about yourself. Because right. again, it puts that morality back on food and it puts that pressure back on you to do something about you. So, you know, when you think about it, even in that, you know, in that term, like, you know, usually in society, it's like, well, you know, you, you kind of you know, mainstream society, like you suck as a human being because people believe that you don't have self-control. But like gluttony is like what they call one of the the seven deadly sins. Like these are the things that God abhors, right? And so kind of walking around with that understanding about yourself because your body is larger has such a greater consequence. You know, well, God's not pleased with me. God's not happy with me. Things aren't happening well in my life. I'm not being blessed, right? My territory is not being enlarged. Why? Uh Because I'm in this fat body. You know, and so there's so many different implications that that kind of, you know, plays a part in um, right. in, a, in it, a larger sense. Right. It puts us back into that conflict with ourselves. Right. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so in my understanding of myself as as being a a, you know, divine representation of God, being a God body in this, you know, human form, spirit in human form having the same DNA as God, then, then I, then I fall into this period, into this place really of um, self-hatred and fighting myself. Right. Right. Because I didn't necessarily create this body. This is the body that I was given. And there's something, and I'm being told constantly that God doesn't approve of this body. Right. So I'm constantly in this battle. I'm constantly in this battle. Like I, i did every diet ever. I participated in all of those things. I am still in my 40s divesting from diet culture. I grew up in California. I grew up in San Diego. There is definitely an aesthetic there. I grew right. up playing sports. I grew up with a very slim father and you know, slim brothers and sisters. And so I just had all of this coming at me. And it was like, I'm still unraveling that now. I am still giving myself permission to exist now. I am still reminding myself of the, the mantra that God doesn't make mistakes and that God doesn't make junks, junk. And so, you know, I am a part of this creation exactly the way that I am made, exactly the way that I came here. Black, fat, femme, like that is who I am. And, and I am okay with that. I'm not just okay with that. I celebrate that. I celebrate yeah. the experiences that I get to have as a result of my intersections, because I know that that's how it was supposed to be. And so maybe part of my lesson and part of my spiritual growth has been that learning that lesson, learning to love myself and be comfortable in this body. Yeah. Coming back to a place of acceptance. 
um, for sure. What would you tell those who are interested in getting involved um, in spirituality or continuing their path? Are there any words of wisdom that you would share <laughs> that we haven't already right. kind of touched on, right? Like, um, oh gosh, what would I share? I would say, keep your heart open. Keep your heart open because the mind is easy for us to manipulate. When we feel uncomfortable, our risk manager will take over, mm -hmm. right? And this is how we get cognitive dissonance, right? We'll just start surrounding ourselves with things and people that align with what it is that we want it to be and we'll shut down. But when your heart remains open, then you have the ability to be aware from a loving space. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Like so much of this journey is about us learning to love ourselves. I think we come here with it and then all of this other stuff happens and we forget that. And I think it's so important for us to go back to that space, to that just pure love space. So keep your heart open. All right. And tell everyone, because I'm sure people are going to want to find you after this. <laughs> um, so tell, tell, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, they can find me pretty much on all social media as Purple Hair and Converse. That's A-N-D. I actually had somebody uh, ask me when I went to buy Converse the other day. They were like, is that Ann? And I was like, no, it's, it's and the whole word, the whole S word is in there. So mm -hmm. Purple Hair and Converse. And mostly on Instagram, they can find me on my blog, purplehairandconverse.com. And I mean, you can pretty much access everything from there. But again, mostly on Instagram. I do a lot of engagement there. Uh, I do a webcast on Wednesdays with the Lux Libra called Chat with the Aunties. We are talking about vulnerability this month. Last month, we were talking about the cycle of self-esteem. And it's literally just conversations that we have amongst ourselves. You know, you get with your girls and y'all have to sit down and work some things out. And so we're bringing that to a larger audience, um, asking people to come and participate and share their truth. And we create safe and sacred space for that. Uh, and I also have my podcast that I do with my daughter called The Intersection, where we actually talk about our intersections of uh, being Black and being for me, Black, Fat, and Femme, for her, chocolate, conscious, and creative. We talk right. about, you know, mother-daughter stuff, how we're both navigating this world, uh, me as a, you know, 40-plus parent and her as a teenager, because we're seeing the same stuff. We're going into the same spaces and, you know, having these experiences, and it's very different. And so, you know, I think, oh, she should just get this. She should just know this. Like I'm her mom and we've talked about this. And she just looks at me sometimes like, I don't have a clue. So, so we break all that down on the intersection. Um, and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter sometimes. Again, all purple hair and converse. Okay. Well, Miss Purple Hair and Converse, Malika, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show and sharing your wisdom and your journey. Um, it has been an awesome hour chatting with you, sharing um, a lot of things that we have in, in common. I think the more that I interview people, the more I realize that our journeys have been similar. Um, and so definitely has been fun talking to you and hearing your story and understanding how you have come to the place that you've come to. Um, People can find this. You're going to find this this podcast episode. So fresh out the cocoon. Um, 
there's freshoutthecocoon.com where you can get merchandise. Um, I also post the links to the podcast episodes there. Um, but if you want to go directly on to the platforms for the actual podcast, um, I'm on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker Radio, TuneIn Radio, um, Google Music Play, um, everything but I tell everything but Spotify and iHeartRadio. So you can find the podcast there. I'm also on IG as Fresh Out the Cocoon. I have a Facebook page, Fresh Out the Cocoon. So um, follow me there. Um, get the episodes there. Share it. Tell your friends. Um, all of that good and fancy stuff. And as always, y'all, as always, because we're closing out the show, um, as always, be you and stay fresh. Oh, uh, yeah.